USA, where the worlds of philosophy and contemporary entertainment collide. I'm your host, Ellie Walsh, and in this series, we're diving deep into some popular culture and seeing how some contemporary sources of entertainment and art are trying to answer the big questions. Before we begin today's podcast, I have a grave warning. I regret to inform you that nothing I could possibly say or explain about the show could really, truly, fully encapsulate its magnificence, so I highly, highly recommend you watch it. Today's episode of Essay is especially notable in more ways than one. Firstly, because the subject matter was also originally, in its purest base form, a podcast itself which was then morphed into a beautifully animated space adventure. That's right, today I'm going to be talking about the Midnight Gospel. Born from the minds of Duncan Trussell from the Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcast and Pendleton Ward of Adventure Time, it is an eight-episode Netflix show about a guy named Clancy who buys a universe simulator and enters all kinds of worlds to interview its inhabitants for his space cast, which is his space podcast, of course. And, just a little warning for those of you out there who are looking to watch, the show does contain adult themes like a mention of drugs, and it does contain explicit language. So, if you are at all sensitive to those types of things, it might be better to avoid it. But, if you're not, again, I highly recommend it. The other reason today's essay episode is remarkable is because I'm also recording this podcast from the comfort of my own home. That's right, the coronavirus has done its fair share of damage, even here in California, so we are currently under lockdown. I wanted to mention this for posterity, but I also recognize that anything anyone's talking about nowadays is somehow related to the coronavirus. And I don't know about you, but watching Netflix and thinking about philosophy and all these incredible, cool new ways of viewing the world and the universe really honestly helped me bring some kind of peace in these uh, weird times. Anyway, I just want to thank whoever's listening, and I hope you enjoy the listen. To be honest, there's not much deep digging I have to do with this show to be able to find its philosophical links. It is, after all, basically all centered around philosophy, meditation, enlightenment, life, death, birth, and the mind. Usually, the largest part of my research with this podcast has to do with trying to find hidden meanings and deeper implications of a piece of entertainment. But in this show, it is completely there, completely laid out, but the work is in decoding it and making it make sense for people like me who aren't thinking about astral projecting and ego death for the majority of their day. So, today we'll be dissecting episode 5 of the Midnight Gospel, which is titled Annihilation of Joy. The premise of the episode is as follows. Clancy awakes, hungover, having passed out in his yard the night before. He ventures into his house, browses through worlds on his universe simulator, and stumbles across a particular simulation that catches his eye. Whoa, what's that place? Oops. (laughs) You weren't supposed to see that. That's my soul prison for wayward simulated beings. It's a tower of malfunctioning sims, so enraged with existential dread that they've ripped out their own tongues. What? Yes, send me in. That sounds perfect. I'm not going to get hurt. 
You cannot die in a soul prison. You, you can only be reborn. Clancy, accordingly, chooses a jolly little rainbow-shaped music-making avatar as the character he will appear as upon entering the simulation. He is then shot into space, through the void, and into the prison world in a blazing comet. After he crashes into the cell, he gazes at its tortured inhabitants, Bob, Bob's cellmate, and both of their soul animals. The two inmates each have a small glowing animal attached by a glowing blue thread to a collar on their neck. Bob's sole animal is a bird named Jason, who speaks for Bob, since Bob's tongue is, after all, gone. My name's Clancy. I'm a spacecaster. And I wanted to know if maybe you'd like to be interviewed for my spacecast, which goes into space. He bit his own tongue off, like three years ago. But you can interview me. I'm his soul bird. Uh, okay. At this point, a fight escalates with Bob's cellmate, and the guard of the prison shoots Bob. Bob dies, goes through the Bardo loop, and ends up right in the same place he was at the beginning. Clancy is along for the whole ride. That was nuts! That was the Bardo loop. You're all knotted up in my boy's soul string here. Huh. I guess that means you'll be coming along for the ride every time Bob dies. <gasps> Cool. My name's Jason, by the way. <clears throat> My name is Clancy. It's nice to meet you, Jason. Okay. The deal with the soul prison is that one cannot die, one can only be reborn. The characters describe this as a bardo loop. The bardo is a Buddhist concept. It is a state between death and rebirth. Throughout the episode, Bob tries to escape the prison over and over again. Each time, he is killed. And each time, when he is killed, he is transported to some alternate plane. His snarling, angry heart is plucked out of him by giant, all-seeing beings. It is put on a scale to be weighed against a feather from his soul bird. Over and over, the heart weighs heavier than the feather, and Bob is blasted right back into the prison in the same place and time he'd been at the beginning of the episode. However, it doesn't go on like this forever. After several tries, in which Bob does something slightly differently each time, he advances his escape to the point where he breaks out of the building, but ends up falling off of it, getting impaled on the jagged rocks below. This marks a turning point. Bob realizes the need to let go, to lose all hope, and to accept the inevitability of his fate, to come to terms with it, to no longer fight so hard, but to go along for the ride and use compassion as his weapon. His heart, when ripped out of him, is no longer angry. It becomes softer and softer, and as he cries, tears well up in the many eyes of the beings that judge him. Bob begins to see his own face in the faces of all the other prisoners and guards and everyone else he comes into contact with. He almost escapes this time, but falls off the edge of the building once again. He clings to the side, desperately trying to hold on and stay alive, and then he lets go. The minute he gives up on hope, surrenders to his fate, and starts to feel compassion and empathy instead of simply blind rage, he can finally be at peace. In the last encounter with the all-judging, all-seeing beings, the very last feather is plucked from his soul bird. His heart is healed, and when put on the scales, is finally lighter.
Bob is now granted the power to turn back time, so he flies straight out of the prison in the same comet that brought Clancy there in the first place. They have broken the game, they have cheated the code, and now stand within the walls of the simulation computer. Bob's tongue grows back, and he starts to sing in a beautiful voice with questionable but morally sound lyrics, and his face begins to shift into every character from every other episode of the show. He joins in an infinite blue glowing net of other people, common threads connecting them all, and Bob's shackles are finally gone. He sings... Now this show is pretty interesting because I just described the entire plot of the episode, but there is still so much more to unpack there. Even more than all the metaphors and hidden meanings within that singular plot, there was also the conversation that was going on between the soul bird, Jason, and Clancy throughout the whole episode, and that's the same for every episode of the Midnight Gospel. There's a plot going on in the background, kind of. The plot is really secondary to the space cast that's taking place. So these two plot lines are separate, but they are related in a lot of ways, and a lot of the time when a topic comes up in the conversation, something related happens in the plot. Now, I sat down with my dear friend Jake Van Tassel to discuss this amazing show because he has watched it before. Plus, we are a couple of nerds, and what more could two nerds possibly want than to sit around and talk about philosophy and weird ways of thinking about the universe for a little while? Talk about this concept of the bardo loop. And the bardo in Buddhism is the state that you are in after death but before rebirth. So it's yeah. this kind of like limbo state. I was just going to say, I feel like I've been in a limbo this whole entire quarantine. Just like in a state of like suspended time and reality. I mean, everything's on pause, right? Everything's yeah. frozen. Time itself is sort of... I mean, yeah. I had this, like, realization that there's, like, three weeks left of... School? School, and that yeah. Um So tell me, what was your interpretation of the episode? I had no idea. I, I imagined there was, like, some further meaning behind it. 
my initial interpretation of it was just like there's the buddhist interpretation that i first assumed which was like after rebirth the closer we get to enlightenment in that sort of sense like after we go through the hardships of one life after we sort of hit this sort of reset point we sort of get closer in a way and i think one of the other episodes talked about like how if you reach that point of enlightenment in one life you'll continue yeah. to have the same consciousness throughout all your lives. I thought it was sort of touching on those points. Now, the hopelessness sounds really rotten when you, when, if you haven't really explored just how much you've been using hope as a flaw. Just beating yourself up with hope. Now, one second, you let yourself be hopeless. Let go of hope. Let go. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I yeah. think that the whole entire concept of hope is kind of important since what is the point of getting up in the morning if you don't really have hopes and dreams and aspirations? I mean, I think there's a difference between hope and... That kind of hope. Yeah. There's, like, there's the kind of hope that, in the end, just damages you, you know? Because you're, there's expectations. Yeah. There's a difference between expectations and being excited about the future. I think the dissolution of like expectations mm -hmm. helps advance you into a more happy being or a more, you know. Don't you think like when you feel like you're owed a certain a certain thing, like something in your future, yeah. like you expect something's going to happen and then you feel let down if it doesn't happen. Don't you think that's kind of selfish? You're touching on the quarantine. <laughs> sort of prom graduation things that I don't, Not necessarily, I don't necessarily think it's selfish I think that like I think if you're able to absolve those expectations and sort of be okay with whatever happens yeah. do you think without hope he could have escaped I think he made it through because he let go and he he just surrendered himself and he he began to see himself in everyone else and he began to lose his own sense of identity and individuality, broke the system basically. You know, he didn't get out because he fought his way through. He got out because he gave up basically and then he was able to turn back time and manipulate time and break the code and like get out of the game completely. The game that he was trapped in. We think that there's something essentially true about reality. You only have the illusion that you're a separate self because it's a point at which a network converges. The important distinction here also is this is not nihilism. It's not nothing is real. It's that everything is empty of inherent quality, meaning non-essentialism. There's no essential one true Clancy. There's no essential one true Jason. There's no es essence of anything. The Tibetan Buddhists call this the clear light, understanding the essential non-existence of everything. They were calling it non-essentialism, that nothing has inherent quality or like essence to it. Yeah. Like we inherently just... We just add essence to everything and yeah. essence to ourselves, basically. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's a, I think it's a bit of a jump to be like, we're all living in a game and... Mm -hmm. You know, the whole entire virtual, I think the parallel to virtual reality is like a good one mm -hmm. because of just sort of our acceptance 
if you look at it in like the Buddhist lens, mm -hmm. I guess that's sort of what you could refer to it as, since it's sort of just this, you know, endless, yeah. you know, replayable game yeah. of life that we all sort of sit through. Any spiritual practice that's like trying to get to something, I'm going to become more spiritual, I'm going to become more loving, and yeah. I'm going to make some change. I'm getting points somehow, I'm changing. Yeah. Buddhist perspective is, dude, you're grinding in World of Warcraft. Wake up! It's just a game. You're trying to add experience points to a character that doesn't exist. You forgot that you're playing a game. Dude, you're dehydrated, drink some water. You've been playing this freaking game for like 20 hours straight to the point that you forgot it was a game. <laughs> How how do we wake up? Is it is it the do we do we just do we just give up? Is that how we wake up? Do we do we have to reach that spiritual enlightenment to be able to? I think there's a lot of power in when you stop trying to get to something. When you like I don't know when you keep trying and trying and trying to get to something that doesn't actually exist. I feel like when you just let go of that, you know. The moment you accept things as they are you don't need to hope anymore because you realize that where you are is kind of okay there's this like japanese philosophy on basically where you sort of it's sort of the same principles but you sort of just sort of let go and let other people take care of things and rely on people it has more of like a basis and trust it's more like you just trust everybody to do their thing and once you sort of give up on being skeptical of other people and give up on being, you know, a control freak in essence, that you can sort of reach that sort of enlightenment in a sense, since you sort of... Yeah, I think there's a sort of enlightenment in just accepting where you are right now, yeah. you know? Like, just being completely okay with being and not trying to constantly be getting to enlightenment or trying to... As like the, as the Buddhists say, you can't exactly re reach enlightenment by trying to yeah. reach enlightenment. That's impossible. It just happens. I guess it just happens, but there's certain like ways and lifestyles that you can adopt that sort of expedite it in a way. But I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's the same thing as saying you should just let other people control your life. Not saying that necessarily. It's more of just trusting other people to get their shown. So the concept is that all the consciousnesses in the world are connected. Imagine like a, a giant net, like a glowing blue net in infinity. Like a quilt? No, more like a net. The Hindu view on this is that it's the nodes that are important, right? And the points on the net, the connections between the lines, those are consciousnesses, right? Those are Atmans. Yes. 
understand the Atman is conscious. It is consciousness, and each individual consciousness is God. Yes. And in its own way is the totality. I mean, in most religions, sort of like... Judaism has that too. Judaism has like, that. Christianity. Christianity. I don't know much about Christianity, but I imagine they sort of have that belief where we all have a little bit of... I guess our souls, in sense, are God. Yeah. I personally don't prescribe as much yeah. meaning to like that sort of spirituality aspect of it but i think there's like i mean it's it's completely ignorant to just cast aside certain beliefs because yeah. you don't necessarily align with it completely or you haven't experienced something that justifies that belief um i think it's important there are so many different perspectives and stuff. Exactly. there are infinite perspectives but then he also looked at his hand and you could see every single molecule and they were all his face. You know, like you there's are- so, There's so many like, there's so many things about so individualism, many, but yeah. also like the- You are not the, you. You are the not you. The inherent you doesn't exist, you know? This is on <laughs> scienceandnonduality.com, just for the <laughs> reference, just so you don't get in trouble. Um, that every point on the hologram contains information regarding all other points. The kind of analogy has been suggested by science as a theory for an essential characteristic of the cosmos, as well as functioning of the human brain, as beautifully described as the holographic universe by Michael Talbot. Lack of substantive self. Each node representing an individual simply yeah. reflects the qualities of other nodes, inferring the notion of not-self or lack of a solid and real inherent self, as seen as Advaita Vendata, school in... Alan Watts, a philosopher that I like, sort of follows this school of thought in Hinduism mm -hmm. and Buddhism. Non-locality. Indra's net shoots holes in the assumptions of the imputation of a solid and fixed universe out there. If anybody listening understands anything I'm saying... <laughs> <laughs> Props. Good on you. You're probably, you know, sitting in your monk temple right now, listening <laughs> to this podcast for some strange reason. Go back to praying. I feel like I need to have more prior knowledge to quite understand yeah. what you're talking about. I know, and he does so many podcasts with all of these philosophers and scientists and, and like I, magicians what? and like religious people and he does The magician was an actually an interesting yeah. episode because I don't think I don't think he was more of a magician in our sense of like someone who like does acts on stage. I think like he actually no, no, believes no. in like spiritual magic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for... Thank you for talking. We should do this again. Yeah, I agree. Alright. <laughs> Goodbye. Into the multiverse for listening to Midnight Gospel. Yeah, it was a lot to unpack. <laughs> There's just so much there. <laughs>